Welcome to the Next Step Business Podcast. I'm Bob Camp, your host. For each podcast, I'm inviting successful business leaders to discuss strategy, execution, high-performing teams, innovation, and more. Join us to learn more about getting the business you want and living life on your terms. Hello, everyone. I wanted to bring back Doug Mapp, the CEO of ThinkUp. Thanks for having me back. We were talking about workforce development. One of the things you started going down about how companies are doing different programs. When it comes to workforce development, you know, I'm a big about like, we got to define a couple of terms. And then, and when you think about what work, developing a workforce is about, most people go about thinking, okay, I have to bring more training or more content to my people because they're not aware or they don't know about said subject. It could be like DEI. Or they need to be trained to do a particular aspect of their job better. That's the components of workforce development from, the, from a standard look. Now, what most notably seems to happen, though, if you go through from company A to company B, company C, is pretty much everybody delivers that about the same way. And so the quality of the content that they're receiving or that an employee would receive is going to be pretty much top notch. So then I look at, okay, the content that they're receiving is, is not the thing that's going to make them win necessarily. It's what their ability to do with that content is that's going to make a person win, and winning being a true application, right, to give them an advantage and, and their company advantage to make them more valuable in their organization, thus making their organization more valuable, right? And so... If you start looking at the structure of like, okay, how will somebody take that content more and make it more valuable, we have to see what their, their thoughts, patterning, uh, their cognitive function specifically, what their skills are doing in order to make that data that they're receiving, the content, useful. When I think about that, is I heard someone tell this story. I don't know if it was another podcast I heard or someone I was talking to. Mm-hmm. They were talking about at a, at a particular university where a group of students were given lights to decorate the Christmas tree. And when the, the faculty member came back, the lights were about eight to 10 feet up on the tree, but the tree was a 30 foot tree. <laughs> and the students didn't even think to ask about, is there a ladder? And that's a really simplified view. But in work, we have the same thing is we're given jobs to do. But if I'm not thinking critically to try to understand what we're trying to do, right and put all that in context, I lose the opportunity to help myself, help my company, have a better life, all those things. Yeah, essentially what you're looking at is what was innate inside of that person. And so I say, okay, you know, they were given all the tools, they were given all the things they needed to do to put that Christmas tree up, but innately inside of them wasn't the question of how should this thing look, right? To be asked to start with asking that question first before they took any type of action, mm-hmm. um, and that is a a exercise of thought. But like any cognitive skill, you have to exercise that thought first, right? And so sometimes people want to want to look at the facts of like, okay, well, what would a cognitive function type of training look like? Well, for each individual, it's a little bit different, right? It's going to be based off of their weaknesses, uh, their cognitive weaknesses, but then. What it can potentially do then is take them from being just a smart person, which is somebody who has uh, a 
ton of content that they can always reference and make them more of what I like to call an intelligent person, which is somebody that can take that knowledge and then make it relevant and applicable to whatever they're trying to put their hand toward, right? So somebody with strong cognitive function skills could be uh, good at sales selling food, and then they could turn around and be good at sales selling engineering stuff, right? Those are... And you could say, okay, well, they're still selling, but no, those are uniquely different things. Selling engineering things and or IT things is very different than selling food, right? You, you have to deal with the palate for food for some people and, and, and the way that they go about doing business and selling things in that market versus, you know, the technology realm of things and what you may need to know for that. So uh, certain individuals have strong skills, but uh, I would say just like, you know, I like to use a LeBron James uh, story, which is that there are LeBron James walking around when it comes to the way that we think, but not everybody's LeBron James, you know. So the rest of us, we're going to all have to be in the gym like the Ray Allens or the uh, or what was the guy? J.J. Reddick from Duke, if you guys remember that guy from back in the Mm -hmm. day, have to actually put in the work to become good, good shooters and good players uh, to be at that next level. Right. If we're going to be a professional in the workforce. I suggest we train like them, which means you got to put our breast muscle, which is going to be our brains, to, to work. Um, and I think that for great companies or companies who, is, who would like to be great, they're going to have to lead the charge in putting their people in the position to train, right? Make the space for them to train uh, their cognitive function skills so that they can then take the data and the content, this great content that they're bringing into these organizations and go, oh, I see something new with this. I know that rather than starting from the bottom up with these lights that's going to go on the street, we may want to get a ladder to start from the top down or even a boom, you know, if it's a 30-foot tree. And so uh, we want to make sure that we uh, give someone, or at least our employees, the ability to increase that the thing within them, that innate ability to be great. And that starts so, with, in my way, the, not, the, not necessarily the content they're training with, but how they, their brain actually can take in and do something with that type of information. Yeah, because one of the things when, you, when you're talking through that, what I think about is we've developed a workforce, whether you know it's in school or going into the workplace, we've developed a workforce to follow direction. And just get the job done, like the old production manufacturing jobs. Just go in and we teach you this function and just do that. So we're really talking about a retraining of somewhat in, in some respects. It's a, a, re, a new development of what are probably core to who we are and what we would naturally do. But a lot of that has been trained out of, of the workforce to actually think from a cognitive perspective. Is that, no, I would agree. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Do you think that's a factor? Yeah, I do. I agree with that factor. When you don't exercise thought, then it's like any type of uh, muscle. There's atrophy kind of sets in, right? And so the the funny part is, is that a lot of companies talk about upskilling their employees. They want to upskill them. I'm like, well, how are you going to upskill something that has never been there? The skill's not there, right? So you're going to give them content that would require the skill, but the skill's not there. And so you you always bump up against a problem with people. People get frustrated. And it's not that people want to get frustrated. It's that the brain's uh, fight, flight, freeze response is to kind of express frustration when it, when it can't do a particular thing, accomplish a particular thing. And so, so 
to me, it's a must to put people in the position to succeed in that way. Uh, and so when you're trying to develop, I think when we, we try to develop a workforce that is more agile, especially as the future is going to look, right? We have to look at how well a person thinks, especially when a lot of their thinking, at least currently, is being offloaded onto other things. So if you imagine, if I have an AI that can write for me or tell me when to fulfill an order or when to call on somebody, when does my brain have to remind me to do that same thing? So even if you think if I'm going to pair my people with an AI, after a while, maybe within the next generation of a worker, they may not even be able to accomplish the same feat. So, the, so one guy may look like they're doing something uh, great, and then the guy below him or the guy coming up underneath trying to learn a particular skill won't be able to do it the same way, not in the same high degree. Like imagine uh, a kid. I'll use, I'll use a, a kid I know. He's 18. He's grown up in a world where in order to find a place, you can Google everything you want to find. Right? Tell me the address or tell me the, the place I'm going and I can find it. Now, what happens if you tell him to go to a spot in town? Remember that spot in town that's just, you know, near this landmark and this other landmark? You drive by it every day? He's like, no, I don't remember that. Because his brain's not geared to see or hasn't been practicing seeing the surrounding world like our, like a, a brain that's been around for a lot longer who didn't grow up with those same tools, right, will be able to see. And so when you give somebody too much assistance, their brains go, tend to go like, oh, I can rely on that. So... If you want to make the, the AI or to take the most advantage of a particular AI, which is it's a tool to help us, then you need to have somebody that's going to be at least equal to the talent of the AI so that then you could have two things that can go like, oh, we see this massive advantage that our competitors or, you know, can't see. And when you have enough people, you know, in your workforce working with that, that type of uh, abilities, then they can do some special, you know, uh, special things and bring higher level value, not just for themselves, but also for their organizations. It's like when you're doing research, it's really easy to go on the internet, type in a few words and get a lot of information. The yeah. challenge is, is how do you distill that information down into something that is actually not just usable, but is best, right? It's, it's, it's a, a best approach or it's a best, uh, understanding of that information to how you might apply it in a, in a situation that helps your business, helps your life, whatever it might be. Yeah, so no, you're you're 100% right with that. There's uh, the challenge in what I do, right? So, you, you know, we talk about cognitive function skills. And I'm sure the audience, if you're listening, you're thinking like, okay, so what are cognitive function skills? I'm going to name, a, I can name a few. I'm going to name attention. I can name working memory. I can name processing speed. We talked about critical reasoning, those fluid reasoning. Those are cognitive functions, skills. And so when I, when I talk about those things and how to even improve them, the next question that somebody then asks is like, well, how does improving that help me? How does it help my company make, do what we want to do next, which is make more money most likely, right? Not just more. I know it would be great to think that everybody wants to have just better people, but at the, at the end of the day, they want better people that are also prop, more profitable, right? Um, and so uh, I have to look at, okay, how do we do that? And then if I go looking, there's no just general research that says, oh, you fix this or you improve a per this particular cognitive function skill like attention, then it translates to 
five more dollars. It's not a math like that. So what we try to do is figure out, at least on my side, what we look at is like the cognitive function skills to improve parts of an organization that most people aren't really aware of. And, and the first place I look at is uh, in, in improving somebody's ability to uh, properly or to increase their work engagement, which is going to be their ability to then put in a little bit of an extra effort, seemingly effortless to them as they're doing it, to then be better at the job. So it's not like a, a groan to get figure out how to get better at the job. And then not only do they get better at the job, right, they also, because of their the, the ethic that seemingly comes off of them in a kind of like an auristic way, right, uh, which I think I made that word up, by the way, <laughs> but in a way where their aura suggests to other people, I think we may need to pick it up too, right? That's how you improve working games. And we can tell or correlate when, a, so when cognitive skills are high, certain ones are high, that this intends to improve somebody's work engagement. When you can improve somebody's work engagement, then you have a chance to then have that person give or be a better organizational citizen, right, of the organization. They can be better proponents of change, right, transition, what have you, in order to make this company a better company from what effort they think needs to be put into this company, right? And when people, you know, can see the fact that they have to also play a part as a citizen of the organization, they then can uh, address and properly, I would say, uh, add to the culture and the mix of the culture. So now everybody, as you improve work engagement, right, starts to level up and create the culture that most leaders tend to want. Now, I know they say, you know, that top-down leadership culture thing, but you have to have people at the bottom that want to adopt that too. And if it's, if it's I guess, I'm going to use the word righteous, if it's righteous... <laughs> then somebody who's engaging in the work correctly can see that, adopt it, if they've got the strong enough skills to see that, and then other people around it can adopt it well to engage in a process that says, yeah, we got to work to maintain that, right, and then keep it, you know, continue to work at a high level. And one of the challenges, and you brought leadership into that, challenge, leadership can stop it. I mean, I mean, stop it from evolving and stop it from happening. And when I think about that, it's so important as a leader is developing my own cognitive skills so that when I'm having a conversation with someone, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm having a conversation with someone, rather than directing them what to do mm-hmm. and assuming that they know what to do is really engaging them in the conversation about what needs to happen right? or what's the outcome I'm looking for and develop having that opportunity to spend a few minutes working with the person, ask questions to get them to be thinking and thinking bigger, and you know, and, and, and am I going down the right path here? Because I think leadership Maybe. can. So, you know? I, yeah, if it has a particular strong effect. So, I think, so I would challenge, and this is a new thing for me to challenge which part happens first or which part uh, is, is more impactful. Is a, is a leader with a particular culture they want to bring and the impact they would like to make. If the so let's look at it this way. So if the if the organizational citizenship behavior, right? If the citizens of this organization were strong, and they also then helped create a really strong culture when a new leader came in, could they actually 
or would they need to adopt this new culture he's trying to create or would he go or would he go like wow that's actually a strong culture we just need some strategic adjustments and i think the latter would happen more often than um them shifting the 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 whole organization Mm -hmm. shifting i think what happens commonly though is because we have very poor citizenship the culture is already wonky so now a leader comes in thinking oh i need to change the culture right but at the same time, as they're trying to change the culture and trying to fight that, that's a long fight, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the citizenship is not there. So I contend if you work on the citizenship, which is the work engagement and the authentic leadership that kind of exists underneath that, you will build a more stable foundation of a culture that you're trying to implement over a long period of time. And it won't shift as easy when more when uh, when you then hire another leader because an, uh, somebody else left as the primary leader. Right. The person comes in and goes like, oh, wow, this is a healthy culture and they can dig it. Right. They can then jump in and kind of like row and swim in the boat or row the boat with the team that's already there and established. Right. Because most, mm-hmm. you know, secondary leaders or, or C-suite leaders don't come in and go like I get to pick a whole new department and bring that with me. Right. You have who's there. But if they're not strong citizens, you see a lot of turmoil a lot of times. And so what we would like to see or what I'd like to see is if we focus on improving uh, people's ability to engage in the work and then participate in the citizenship of the organization, then you start to see like these beautiful organic cultures that are strong and -hmm. that can push past, you know, regimes and regimes. Right, change, and and I think we're I think I'm on the same place you're at, just only from the standpoint that I think that 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 individual, the manager, the the higher levels, they can disrupt the whole thing and, and make it you know disastrous. They can, uh, if I, they could try, I think they could right? try. If the citizenship is strong, what do you think? So do you? Well, think- they, I, yeah, I agree with you. If the citizenship is strong, mm-hmm. I've seen that in companies where citizenship is strong. They bring in a new leader. The leader doesn't last if they're right. Not. The leader won't last, right. right? Because they're trying to. Because now the question was, I would have. I want to ask you: Was the culture like a cool culture or a really good culture for those strong citizenship type of companies? Yeah, it's from the standpoint of people taking care of each other, getting mm-hmm. the work done, being you know innovative, and then having someone come in and being dictatorial. And it was like a, we get things done, and we're moving forward, and we're progressing, and we're open. Uh, and the, and the, to your point, that ability to think and solve problems at the at the at the ground level has a bigger impact than you can typically at the executive levels. Executive, to your point, is we need to refine our strategy. We need to take a look at the market different. But now I got to really depend on my team figure out how we're going to do that. Right, right, right. No, I totally agree. I would think that a leader coming into a strong place would really need to sit down and do a lot of, like, you know, interviewing of the current people before they make, you know, certain types of changes. I think, you know, if you think uh, right now that's happening in time is the whole Elon Musk and Twitter Mm kind of, to some people you call it debacle, maybe, (laughs) right, how he's handling that. I would say that they're, I mean, from the outside looking in, right? Because all I get is the media notes of how he's affecting things positively or negatively. It would seem, though, that it's on a negative track so far that he wanted to disrupt the 
culture so so drastically that he started making some really big changes uh, with people, disrupting how people are dealing with things that then you can easily, I think, fracture the citizenship, right? Because even if people are on the same side of an of a, of, of a idea, once you start bringing enough fear in, you can start to fracture, like, you know, the, the citizenship, and then you can rebuild it. And I tend to think that now, there may not be a whole lot of people that agree with me, that he may have purposely wanted to break the citizenship system that they had built to establish a new culture, because that's what you would really need to do. And so mm-hmm. from a, to some degree, it may be a little bit of a genius, like a diabolical genius, because he didn't want to kind of talk that through. But sometimes if, if, you're, you know, if you have a drastic vision, I think that that may be what may need to happen. But, you know, I don't know. I'm not inside that organization. But that's the way you would do it. If you want to really change a particular type of culture, you're going to have to bust up citizenship first, which then you may have to implement fear, which is the tactic he wanted to use to make that happen, rather than talking it out to see if it could be, you know, kind of judiciously, you know, done with one that seemed like he would care more. I don't know. This is what it looks like from the outside. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, to your point, uh, it can be either. It can be, you know, I was naive and not knowing what was going to happen, and I just went about this and didn't pay attention. Or it could be on purpose, and I have intention to accomplish this in the end. I've seen that over the years with some different leaders coming in, knowing that needed to change the course of the company. If you're doing a turnaround, then sometimes you have to break some things to get it done. But you still need to find who are the people internally that you can depend on, the people that you, you know, are going to help move it forward. Um, but the culture piece, I mean, you, I think you nailed it. The culture piece is sometimes culture is, is solid and sometimes it's just a mishmash. It's just mm-hmm. whatever it is. And have no idea, to your point, I don't know what's inside Musk's head or yeah. inside of Twitter, <laughs> but... But it's going to be an interesting case study for us to take a look it at over time. It sure will be. It sure <laughs> will be. I wonder how many companies actually understand or even look at that citizenship versus culture um, as you go. Do you, do you ever, does that have brought up into your, in, in what the work that you're doing? Not specifically citizenship, because that's a really interesting perspective that you bring to it. We do understand this element of how do you develop people so that they become thinkers and doers from their thinking versus just doing, just following the path? And in developing it, that's so difficult. Uh, but that citizenship piece, when you brought that up, it was like, okay, that's a, that's a thread <laughs> I haven't thought about that way. Oh, I'm glad I, I, gave, I gave you something this time around. Um, you, know, <laughs> you, funny, right. you know, it's funny. So these are things, I, I use a term that, is really just an observational thing. So things are happening, will happen, you know, kind of naturally without the term being there, right? You know, the, the, the adage, like, if the, if the tree falls in the forest and I'm not there to hear it, does it make a noise? Oh, well, yeah, it does. So me being there makes it, means that we just know that noise occurred. Like, so me just calling it citizenship saying, is saying that, hey, these things are what happen when people act in corporate, right, or in federation, but, or confederate. But uh, when you went, but I, but I also notice 
that when you have stronger skills, so let's compare the cognitive function skills um, of kids to adults. Kids don't often play well together the younger they are. There's always more infighting when they're young. You leave them to their own devices. That's not, that's their, their skills aren't as developed as an older kid or as any of the adults. So what we say is, okay, the stronger the skills collectively, right, the stronger the citizenship, right, the, which is the adage saying we are about this type of work, right, and we want a particular culture that shows up looking like whatever that, that may be, right. But it, but it requires people that are strong enough together to make that happen. And that's where I say, okay, we improve cognitive function skills of this one individual. It improves work engagement of that person, which then inspires people around their, their little uh, orbit to then want to level up to. Um, and by giving your chance, your, or individuals inside of your corporation, uh, a chance to do that presents higher level of value within themselves and then for the organization. And that's where we help companies uh, at ThinkUp find that in their people so that they can then, whatever it may show up as, do it. And then we look at absorption rate, which is how fast they can absorb the information that we need them to have and move on to the next thing so we can track the level up of their different cognitive function skills. Um, and then we, we look at the challenges that they each individually have in order to you know, make that flow in a, in a realistic way beyond the content because the content is secondary to their ability to think what to do with it, right? And that's the aspect that, I, that we express more, we focus on, and that very few people focus on that I think, you know, which is how well is this, how well is this Ferrari going to run if I put the right things in it, right? A Ferrari with terrible tires and the wrong type of fuel and with a parachute hanging off the back does not go as a Ferrari that has been tuned or go as fast as a Ferrari that has been tuned. So what's your perspective on, let's say, I'm a CEO, I have six direct reports, and each of those direct reports probably have five or ten people reporting to them. If I want to go down this path, do I try to find someone in each department to do training or do I pick a department so that they're all being developed at a time? Yeah, so I would I would pick a department or group at a time. Um, currently, we're actually in the process of scaling, uh, of developing a platform that will deliver the same results as our one-on-one -on -one stuff um, that will then allow us to you know, you can onboard particularly, you know, an entire department, right? And so uh, part of that is, is you want people to be able to inspire each other, talk about what they relate with the process. When one person goes through, what we found is that when one person goes through, okay, it's, I, I like to use basketball references. And then people, if you watched basketball and you, and you saw the – the first go around with LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers, you could say, well, LeBron was really good and the Cavs were okay, the ones around him. When he left and went back, they leveled up the talent and they could win a championship. So essentially, you don't want one person being the LeBron, they get them to the championship, but you can tell it burns them out where they're like, you know what, I got to leave. Right? Loves the place. Love everything they built together, but they have to leave because it's, it's, not, it's not doable. What they would like to accomplish is not doable there. Uh, and the culture was fine. 
So they leave, and then, or he left, and then he comes back. And when they come back, now the organization says, you know what? We probably need to get a couple of – they don't have to be as good as him, but they got to be good enough that it can help them out. And so when you're leveling people up, because I would say it's much, much harder to find the Kevin Loves and the Kyries, right, mm-hmm. who are also great in their own right, right? Uh, what you would need to do is you level up other people around them, and now they're on a journey together where they can go like, oh, you notice this? I'm noticing that. And then they can start seeing these uh, these cool synergies that are happening within their organization that they may not have seen otherwise, right? Because oftentimes one person's preview does kind of touch somebody else's, but they but they it's not relevant, so they never mention it in the passings of conversations. But once it becomes something that they notice should be relevant to somebody else, they can bring that up. And so that happens more often with higher skilled people. Um, or people, not, I shouldn't say higher, higher skilled people, but more so people who are staying sharp with those particular skills so that they can more often um, accomplish those feats. Yeah, it's that, and basketball is a really good uh, parallel to talk about. I mean, I think sports in general, but basketball, because you have five players on the court playing against five players. Right. It's that IQ, it's that ability to read the situation at the moment to know what adjustments you can make in the moment to be better, to be better positioned to make the layup, to hit the, the, the long shot, you know, to break free, whatever it might be, or to make a defensive stop as an individual or as a team. It's those, to your point, there's, there's a physical attribute, but it's the, it's the intellect, it's that ability to think fast and think more completely. Yeah, no, you're 100 percent right about that. I know that, um, you know, yeah, basketball is a good one. We 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 we've used it a lot. You know, the Mamba mentality for Kobe Bryant. He had he had that, and he and you've heard of basketball IQ. And this is interesting. I wonder. I'm trying to think. Do I ever hear anybody talk about football IQ? I don't really hear it like that. But you hear people talk about basketball IQ, which is mm-hmm. really noticing what's happening in the moment because each game is a little bit different. And we know that teams that do the best, they may not even be the best talented, right, but they have a great uh, IQ and chemistry together. And those things, and that's why I say you kind of want to, you don't want to just make one person go through. You want a few people to go through at a time uh, that are in that same venue because then they can do some special things together. Yeah, I've, I've heard this in football. Uh, I got a chance many years ago to be in the same room and sit beside the guy who was Marcus Allen's mental coach. And I said, how do you work with Marcus Allen as a mental coach? And he goes, here's this really durable running back who just never seemed to get hurt. And he was always gaining yards and doing a great job and just a great, you know, Hall of Fame running back, I think. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he is. I think so, too. Right. And um, it was when my son was playing football. And I, and I said, is it because he's surveying the whole field? He knows where he needs to be going. And he says, no. He says, it's this element of recognizing what's his next obstacle. Who's that person coming at them? And in that moment, knowing which way he needed to turn his shoulders or his hips so that the person wasn't taking him on full bore. It was, oh, they're going to slide off or they can only tackle me from a weak position. And, you know, it's that, and to your point, it's that IQ of the small little tiny nuances that trigger your thinking to do the right thing or do the, the best thing at the moment, the best thing you yeah. know to do at the moment. Yeah, no, you made me remember uh, or think of a, a particular thing that we have somebody do. So I, I, it's easy or it's not easy, but generally 
I like to ask a person this. I'll show them a piece of paper that has a lot of words on it. And I'll say, do you see this? Right? And there's all these words on it. And they go, yeah, I see it. I said, can you see all the words? And they go, yeah, I see all the words. And I said, okay. And then you take the paper away. And I said, okay, what was there? Right? And they're like, oh, that's, that's a, such a hard thing to tell you to do. They can tell maybe a few things. But then the question becomes, well, if you saw it all, why can't you recall it all? Like, why not? And so and now philosophically, you know, we can we try to, you know, do the mental gymnastic trick of like, why not? <laughs> but why I, I ask contend, why not? Why can't you? Well, the only reason why you can't most often is because your brain is just not tuned enough to, to stay detailed to say, oh, it was X, Y, Z, whatever, you know. And so but if it was, then you can. And then there's no excuse of. Well, I, I can't or I don't know. It's just like, oh, yeah, I can, and you just do it. And so, but those are exercises of thought. To exercise your brain's ability to see something and remember something. Just like if you drive by your favorite restaurant and you remember where that was. It's the same thing. It's just that one's a little bit more emotionally cheer, uh, uh, geared and charged so that there's some chemical, you know, staying power to that. So it makes your brain remember that better. But for things that you don't have the same emotional tie to, you still would like to know and remember so you could recall it in the, in the time that it's needed. That little detail, which is where, you know, having a stronger IQ seems to sh- suggest that most people uh, can focus and see more of the detail. So, And yeah. is that... It's that element of, like you said, because it, it plays, once, once your brain, once those synapses start working and they start working consistently, you start seeing in other parts of your life, such oh, as, sure. right, whether it could be as simple as remembering where I left that tool or remembering, you know, where I left my keys or not leaving my phone at the uh, restaurant, those <laughs> things start to work. Because I remember... We went through, I did that brain training with you. It's been a few years ago. I saw things different in my work because of connecting things that I wasn't, you know, hadn't been connecting for a while and how important that is to what I do. But also just in, in uh, going back and playing guitar, all of a sudden it was, I'm remembering things in different sequences in different ways that I had not ever put them together before that way. Yeah, and no. Also, and, and it's those elements that I think, elevates whatever it is you're doing whatever it is your brain is such a fascinating muscle uh device whatever you want to call it it does it does so much and and the thing that's that's almost the most interesting thing me with it is almost like you're almost along for the ride and so but here's the thing you have the option to say it's along for the ride Right. But most of us do it the other way around. We're along for the ride. And so certain certain stresses uh, come to you and then you kind of fall apart, not maybe all the way apart, but you fall apart where now your brain's in control of how you're reacting and responding, whether it's great for you or not. And so uh, you're right. A hundred percent right. The the way that our brains work, fires, wires uh, and communicates with itself to then accomplish, get things done. I like to call that executing. That's all going to be based off of the training that was put in. And as you continue to train, right, over time, uh, you have more control of the choices that you would like to make, right? Which means that, okay, rather than you succumb to a thing and a feeling and a position based off of the emotion, right, you could then go like, oh, I'm going to do that instead of this. 
this emotion makes me feel a particular way, which tells me I should probably choose. I have a choice to make. Right. And then I can choose whatever it's supposed to be for you. Right. Um, and that's where we see some cool things with that as well. And in, in, in helping develop people and it, it becomes, you know, you can help people become more stable. The, the there's a in general. Now, you can't I, I, I would I shouldn't say it this way, but the challenge would be to find. But basically, in general, if you see somebody with strong cognitive function skills, most of the time, right? And so in general, you're not going to see them also be mentally unhealthy. It's, it's, that's not really a thing for people who are strong cognitive function people. Um, it doesn't mean they, won't have, they may never have any episode, but in general, they're going to be mentally healthy and have strong cognitive function skills. So it just struck a little piece with me. One of the things I've heard said, the higher the emotion, the lower the IQ. But I also think it's the opposite, too, from that standpoint. The more aware I am of how I'm thinking, the more I manage my emotions. Yeah, you're not as triggered. Yes, yeah, and, I mean, it doesn't mean, so people sometimes think, oh, it means you're not emotionally aware. No, no, that's not what we're saying. That's not what I'm saying, at least. Mm-hmm. It just means that's not that, what I'm saying. Yeah, right. So you, you don't have to just, like, you know, go off. You, you, you've seen it. I've seen people do all types of stuff in the workplace, cuss this guy out, say all this type of thing, and you're like, oh, I know he didn't mean none of that stuff. But it's already said, and you can't unring a bell. So now what do you do? Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, th- things are going to be tough. Right? We're all going to go through tough times. Being innovative is not easy. You know, being, you know, uh, uh, extending profitability is not easy either, right? Being a company is always figuring out a way to be, you know, profitable, staying on the Inc. 5000 list or whatever Inc. list that you may be on or the running the awards. That's not easy, easy to maintain that level of success. But it becomes uh, a little bit more routine, right, when you give your brain an edge, to then see things that other people's brains aren't seeing because you put yourself through a process. You know, LeBron's not in the league for 20 years on accident. <laughs> right? right. He gave an edge. He's got an edge. And if you've studied, like, what he's doing, you'd be like, oh, wow, he's had a, nutrition, a nutritionist, a chef, a person that works on his body, this person, that person, all types of people to make sure that he can maintain a high level of work. And if you study, I mean, I, I like to look at athletes are the ones that put the most into themselves. Right. For the most part. So when you look at them like the Vince Carter, another Olympian, he should be in the Hall of Famer, too, potentially one day. He didn't put that same level of work in. Um, And if you really broke it down to what I think uh, LeBron may be working on and even the people that I would I I aspire to work with, uh, even for myself, uh, is is working towards a level of rather than just looking at being resilient which to me is more about holding the line. They're wanting to be anti-fragile. How do I not break, right? And if I do find a part that breaks, how do I make it so that next time that won't break, right? And so that takes a push, working, training towards, uh, for me, when it comes to just the, the way we do work and work environment stuff, it's, you know, I use this main, my brain is the main muscle. We have to continue to work on that to, make it stronger and so in our process we know that it takes uh up to or no more than 60 hours anywhere from 40 to 60 hours of work um that somebody would need to do in order to maintain a high level of work of 
of cognitive function or to push yourself towards that high cognitive function every couple of years. And once you do that, uh, you give yourself a really, really good shot of, you know, being at the top of the game, top of your game for sure, and maybe even at the top of the game for the industry that you're in. And when people do that collectively, oh, now you got something special. Yeah, I was just thinking as you're walking through this, there's this companies have gone through this process of first looking at, you know, a couple of decades ago, we need to physically get healthier. So you know, let's let's make sure that, you know, we're helping people be physically more healthy. Nutrition education, exercise, you know, putting gyms into to into companies, into cafeterias and doing all that. And then there's you know, we're evolving to mental health, but I think that was more emotional health mm-hmm. than the mental health. And then there's this cognitive health, which is really the mental piece, is the next stage. This is the piece yeah, that we need to be yeah. addressing. That's a great, a great observation there. I, I hopefully we're at the forefront of that. You know, pushing people to say, okay, it's more than just talking through things. Um, it's really about like, okay, how does your brain think? And so. That's new science. That's new neuroscience. You know, over the last 10, 15 years is where we really, uh, really started digging into, like, how do, how do we really tick for real, you know? And so we work with uh, one of our advising uh, advisors uh, is a doctor out of Emory University, which, by the way, is like the oldest neuroscience um, department in the country as, as universities go. Uh, and they, they're one of the things they're studying, or this specific, uh, Dr. Alex Grizel, he's, what he's studying is how does stress really affect your thinking? And so we hope over the next few years we're going we're gonna to be trying to figure that out together to show, like almost, not maybe not in real time, maybe we could get it in real time, but to show really over maybe a week span or maybe a month span how well or how does it, somebody dealing with stresses, it could be inside from, a, from the company or it could be external or outside the company, which is where a lot of stresses are faced. How does that actually affect somebody's real performance? Right. And then what adjustments can you make from a week to week, maybe month to month to try to get that person's bounce back to be, you know, more resilient? I mean, not resilient. I would say more anti-fragile, really. Right. Mm -hmm. Not so much hold the line, but how do we get it so that that doesn't bother them the same way so that if it does come again, we can they win, we win. Right. And so that's what starts to happen when you can start figuring those things out. But it starts with how we kind of condition the condition, which I like to say, train the brain. And as you were talking a little bit earlier, when we get the whole organization, you know, it's it's like if you were looking only only at your brain, if you only take this one little one percent over here and you make it better, oh yeah, well that's right. That's okay. You got that one percent better, but the rest of it's still functioning like it was. But if we make the whole thing mm-hmm. better and the whole organization, if we just raise it all a small percentage, we are leagues ahead of where we would have been uh, if we didn't. No, and you're 100% right. In our society, like you said, the companies companies saw that we needed to start investing in like physical health and things like that of that nature. And that was a natural progression of our culture from the moment we left the farm, the farm age, moved into the industrial age. We started getting heavier and heavier. And then as we got heavier and heavier, right, or you could say more, more beast, we mm-hmm. then had to adjust and we adjusted saying, Hey, this is affecting our livelihood, your health, your physical health. Right. But it wasn't until you got heavy that you recognized that it's affecting your physical health being heavy. And so now that we're, when we saw, okay, obesity is a problem. We then started putting things in play. 
Okay. Same thing when it comes to the way we've allowed ourselves to get uh, gains through technology. We've gotten some really cool things, but just like before when we had the obesity because we were now sitting in chairs every day and eating whatever we wanted, now we have to go like, okay, what do we have to do to adjust that, to adjust what I'm going to call our mental obesity problem? And so once we can say, okay, or at least corporations like they did for physical health, how do we help our people so they can help us? Because that's why they essentially did it, right? Um, we can then start, you know, investing in ways or in, in technologies and in companies who then support that improvement in our people so that we can advance uh, at a faster, higher pace, be more profitable, be more impactful, uh, be, be leaders um, and, and, and industry innovation and, and put us in a position where, you know, we can then tout that, you know, we're the greatest type of, of notion. So, If I could change my cognitive thinking, knowing that I need to get more exercise, knowing that I need to eat better and more nutritionally healthy for me, then it all starts with our thinking. Oh, for 100%. You know, it made me just think about the, the, the quick fixes. Now, we always got to look out for the quick fix. There's a lot of people trying to figure out, like, oh, what if you take this type of supplement, it's going to fix your thinking in that way. And if you know how supplements or medicine works, normally they're not a bring you above a particular line type of a product. They really just bring you up to the line. Right? So most of the time you're dealing with a problem, you're underneath your baseline. So if you take anything, it's just trying to get you to that, to that standard line. So you're right. You know, if we did control more of the way we thought, you could actually then go and say, you know what, I know that I have this craving for ice cream, but that's not going to help me get to the slim body I want. So we're not doing that tonight. And then you, could, mm-hmm. and then you skip it. Like just, as easy as, as just as easily as the craving came, that you would almost have to question, was it even a craving in the first place? Correct. It'd be, it, to that, to have that high of a degree of thinking, I think, you know, you people can do that, right? And they and and they don't have to fight themselves all the time. Like I look at, you can look at like somebody that's super physically fit, like The Rock was for the movie. I don't know if anybody saw the movie Black Adam. What he had to do to do that, uh, you know, he was working out like a madman to make that happen. And, you know, if it was me, I'd say, hey, can you guys put CGI in place? <laughs> to make me look like that. So, but, you know, but that's what it took. And so when you have the ability to, to think at a high level like that, you can start doing things, put a level of control in place that, you know, is not what we would, what most people would say is natural, right? Because when you look at him doing that, you'd say that's not natural. But it is when you work that, when you work to be that way. That's to your point. It's you leading your brain versus your brain leading you. Yes, sir. It's, we know that the, the subconscious or unconscious mind, depending who you're talking to, is really, it's what controls the biggest part of what you do and how you do it. Your conscious mind has an effect, but it takes more, more awareness and more development to have more influence on what your subconscious or unconscious mind actually you know, pushes you to do. Yeah, no, you're 100% correct with that. And that's why... You know, our tag is not necessarily, we, we of course, develop uh, in our process what we call, you know, high performers as well. But what we really like to say our tag is, like, we create exceptional professionals. Because, you know, there's high performers already out there exist, but are they all exceptional? And so I would say probably not. So 
we we like to say we you know if you let them work with us, these high performers they'll stay high performing and not be a little you know, bit better than that, but they really will start becoming exceptional professionals, which then mm-hmm. improves work engagement and all that stuff we were talking about earlier, right? Uh, and then you can build you know all these other components authentic leadership and everything that starts rolling through a company that you kind of really want to see it's this I, I think about companies who put an awful lot of time into process improvement how do we eliminate waste how do we do all these things which we're looking in a manufacturing environment uh, and in in the work environment it's the same thing if you're in an office environment how do we actually not create more rework, whether it's software development or developing technology or doing marketing, whatever it is. How do you not create unnecessary work? And if every organization can just raise the performance of, of each individual, now they're thinking better. They're, mm-hmm. they're solving the problem a little bit quicker or more completely or simply better. Uh, if it's only a percentage point, it's a couple huge. percentage points. It's huge when you look at the cumulative benefits. Yeah. No, you 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 have the chance to disrupt Pareto's principle in your organization, right? That 80-20 rule, right? So rather than you having 20, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, you now have 30% of the people doing 70% of the work. That's That's a big, big deal. It is a big deal. And when I think about this person who's early in the value chain, makes a 1% improvement, the next person doesn't have to deal with, and they make a 1% improvement, and your value chain goes 10, 15, 20 people, it's, the impact could be amazing. No, 100%, man. We have tons of um, knowledge. We have, it's, it's everywhere. You know, people can find bobcamp.com and learn how to become better at sales. They can go to uh, you know, other companies that are doing it. I, I've met a guy recently that was jumping into the sales training game, and I was like, why? I mean, I, in my head, I thought, there's tons of that out there. There's tons of information. How are you going to make the information better? You know, that's how I'm thinking. And it's not what he's, what he's not trying to do. Is, I don't think he's trying to make it better so much, as much as he's trying to say, well, it needs to be adopted easier. But I said, well, you can't continue to dumb that down to make advanced things. You see what I'm saying? So at some point, we have to say, well, we have to level up. Um, and, and that's where it's going to be necessary. We're going to have to level up. And I don't see how you can't pass your brain in this level up process. That's, and, that's, and that's where we're at with it for here at uh, Think Up. Well, so any last things that uh, words of wisdom you have for everybody out there? Oh, man, words of wisdom. Uh <laughs> Life is about trained versus untrained. Which one do you want to be? That's excellent. Doug, thank you for being on here today, and I'm excited to get this out again. Uh, I'm really, really thrilled to have you back on the podcast, so thank you. Thank you guys for having me.